Well, good morning. We have been working our way through the Apostle Paul's letter of joy, his letter to the Philippians. Um, this morning we come to the third chapter. Just to set the, the, the context here, um, Paul uh, is issuing a warning to the church that they not uh, listen to uh, those who would teach that you must first become Jewish before you can become a Christian. Uh, there were those who were saying, uh, you know, all men must be circumcised before they can come to Christ. And Paul says, don't listen to them. Uh, don't uh, give in to legalism. Um, so uh, that, that's the immediate context of these particular words that, uh, that Paul writes. So uh, reading from chapter 3. My brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence." If someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. What were you and I made for? What should be our great aim in life? What is the best thing in life, bringing more joy and delight and contentment than anything else? The answer to all these questions is the same, knowing God. God can be known and wants to be known. We read in Jeremiah, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. What pleases God most, the thing that gives God most joy and pleasure, is knowledge of Himself. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So this begs the question, do you and I really know God? I mean, do we really? 
It's very important that we face this question head on, for it's very possible to know a lot about God, but not know God. We can have a Ph.D. in theology from the finest seminary. We can have read all the books on the nature and the character of God. We can have studied Christian history and all the creeds of the church. We can carefully examine the proofs for the existence of God. We can become experts in the Bible. But we may hardly know God at all. We can know a great deal about Christian practice. We can listen to innumerable sermons, participate in study groups. We can read books on prayer and on, on Christian giving and witnessing. We can read biographies on how other Christians have led their Christian lives. But we ourselves may hardly know God at all. So that it's actually very easy to end up with a second-hand faith without a first-hand experience of God. Perhaps our faith has simply been inherited by our, by our parents, and we've never made it our own. Perhaps we, what we know about God is all bottled up in our mind, and it has not made, that knowledge has not made the 18-inch journey to the heart. Such head knowledge, Presbyterians are kind of given to this, you know, we're coming to our heads, but such head knowledge does not have the ability to transform life. It stays up here. In that case, then, our Christian faith has become a mere formality, a matter of following rules, going through the motions, living up to a moral code, instead of an experience of a vital personal relationship that transforms and changes us. There is a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God. It's the difference between seeing a picture of Niagara Falls and then actually visiting Niagara Falls and feeling the mist on your face. There's simply no substitute for personal experience. There is a story of a celebrated Shakespearean actor who one night attended a party that was given in his honor. And during the course of the evening, uh, his, the, the guests uh, requested that this actor uh, give a recitation from great literary works. You know, they were asking him to quote Shakespeare and, and uh, poetry and, and the like. And then finally, a request was made for him to recite the 23rd Psalm. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and so on. And as he did so, as he quoted that psalm, his timing, his inflection, his, his diction was perfect and his voice was deep and resonant and it was a great display of oratorical skill. And when he was finished, you know, there was a great applause, beautifully done. Then someone asked the elderly pastor, a friend of the actor since his youth, who had been invited to the party, they asked him if he would recite the 23rd Psalm. Well, he was hesitant, uh, but the actor insisted, so the gray bent-over pastor began. And his, his voice wavered and, you know, just, just really kind of shaky, and his diction wasn't all that sharp. And, and, uh, but when he spoke, he emphasized the personal pronouns. The Lord is my shepherd, I 
shall not want. And the room grew still, and when he had finished, there was no applause. There was only reverent stillness, and eyes actually had dampened with tears. It had been a spiritual experience. And finally, the silence was broken by the actor who said, My friends, I know the 23rd song, but my pastor friend knows the shepherd. Yeah, there's a vast difference between knowing about God and actually knowing Him. Are you familiar with the story of John Wesley? I'm going back into history here. I'm, I'm kind of a history buff. Uh, he is the founder of the Methodist Church. There are some Methodists here. You'll appreciate me lifting up this great hero of the faith. John Wesley, he was an Anglican priest who began ministering at a time when the Anglican Church of England had become mired in institutionalism. The faith had grown, had grown cold in this church. Uh, but he was a priest, he became a priest, and uh, his ministry was marked by frustration and uncertainty, and he didn't really like what he was doing and uh, had all kinds of trouble. That is, until he was converted on May 24th, 1738. So you see, even though he was a pastor, he was a priest, he needed to be converted. He needed to know Christ. And that has sadly has been so often the case in church history that the, the shepherds of the flock do not know the good shepherd. Um, in, the middle, in the church of the Middle Ages, you know, church offices were bought and sold. You could become a rector, a priest, you could become a, a bishop. No faith required. That was part of the problem of the church. So people who led the church were not believers. And it was happening in, in Wesley's day, and, uh, you know, sometimes it actually it happens today, sadly. Um, so Wesley was troubled by his lack of faith, and, and he was in his own uncertainty, and, and he, he said to a, a friend that he was doubting his own salvation. Well, shortly after a disastrous missionary journey to the American colonies, to Georgia, uh, Wesley wrote concerning his ignorance about God and his lack of true faith. And so this is what he wrote. He said, in my return to England, January 1738, being in imminent danger of death and very uneasy on that account, I was strongly convinced that the cause of that uneasiness was unbelief, and that gaining a true living faith was the one thing needful for me. Still, I fixed not this faith on its right object. I mean, only faith in God, not faith in or through Christ. And in the week that followed, Wesley had an amazing spiritual experience that shifted his focus from a vague, benevolent, supreme being God to the living God made known in Christ. And so he writes of this experience. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, 
where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And then Wesley wrote this journal entry the following day. The moment I awaked, Jesus, Master, was in my heart and in my mouth, and I found all my strength lay in keeping my eye fixed upon Him and my soul waiting on Him continually. God had come alive for Wesley through meeting Jesus Christ. And that made all the difference in the world to him. God became, for him, all of a sudden, more focused, more personal, more real. Well, Wesley was branded an enthusiast and denied pulpits because he called the people to repent of their dead institutionalism and return to their first love in Jesus Christ. He was denied the ability to preach because he was talking too much about Jesus. He dared to call people to repentance and to turn back to their first love. I can't hardly believe it, but that's true. In fact, there's still preachers are still criticized today in some churches for preaching too much about Jesus. Well, Wesley had really come to know God in that experience. His heart was strangely warmed. I love that phrase associated with Wesley. My heart was strangely warmed at this meeting. His faith was not uh, just about God. And his passion was to know God in Christ more and more and to make Him known, and it became his chief end in life. And he's, he, was, he turned out to be famous for his work ethic. And in a day when one got around by walking and by riding horseback and by carriage, Wesley traveled 4,000 miles a year and preached over the course of his ministry 40,000 sermons, which uh, for me is an, a very incredible thing. Can you imagine Jim preaching 40,000 sermons? Think what John Wesley could have done with a computer, you know? <laughs> and so, so Wesley was filled with passion all of a sudden, whereas before he was, oh, I'm going to have to, another Sunday, i got to preach again. And, and uh, all of a sudden he had this boundless energy and he was out to share his faith with people Again, because his heart had been strangely warmed and he knew God for the first time in and through Jesus Christ. Well, centuries before Wesley, the Apostle Paul had undergone a conversion through a personal experience with God in Christ on the Damascus Road. Uh, and this changed everything. Uh, Paul, in his letter, describes himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was especially zealous for, for living the, the Jewish law in, uh, in its minutiae. In fact, he says, as far as righteousness was concerned, righteousness based on the law, he was faultless. Paul, by, Paul by nature, was a, a passionate man. 
But his, his passion for God was expressed in just kind of an outward performance. You know, if, if he just observes all the rules, then he'll get into God's good graces. But when he met the living Christ on the road to Damascus as he was on his way to persecute the church, everything had changed. He experienced God's amazing grace, realizing that he could never live a life perfect enough to get into God's good graces, to get God's approval. And uh, Paul's God-given zeal and passion was rechanneled and it went in a different direction because he wanted to get to know God more personally now and to share that experience with others. In fact, so great was his desire to come to know God through Christ that he thought that everything else seemed like pure garbage. Those are the words he uses. Everything else is pure rubbish. It's garbage compared to knowing God in Jesus Christ. Uh, and he expresses his longing, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And Paul passionately preached the gospel to Jew and Gentile alike all through the Roman Empire. I can't imagine a Christianity without the Apostle Paul. The passion of the earliest Christians spreading the good news was born of a vital personal relationship with the loving God, the living God. God had come alive for them in Christ. Um, the Bible translator J.B. Phillips, I don't know if you know about J.B. Phillips, who wrote his own uh, version of the New Testament translation. And he wrote in his introduction to his translation of the letters of the New Testament, he writes this, and I think it's, Apropos here, the great difference between present-day Christianity and that of which we read in these letters is that to us, Christianity is primarily a performance. To them, it was a real experience. We are apt to reduce the Christian religion to a code or at best a rule of heart and life. To these men, it's quite plainly the invasion of their lives by a new quality of life together. They did not hesitate to describe this as Christ living in them. These early Christians were on fire with the conviction that they had become, through Christ, literally sons of God. So yes, there is a profound difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And God comes alive to us when we meet Him in Jesus Christ. Now, those who truly know God in Christ will share certain, certain characteristics. For one thing, like the Apostle Paul, like those early Christians, like John Wesley, they will exhibit enthusiasm for the things of God. It will show in our enthusiasm. Our English word, by the way, comes from two Greek words, a Greek preposition, a Greek word, entheos, entheos. Theosism, enthusiasm, enthusiasm, right? To be in God, if we're truly in God, we will be enthusiastic in a winsome kind of way. We'll be passionate, and it will be, it'll show. We'll be on fire. We'll want to share Him because He means so much to us. Those who truly know God in Christ will, want, will be wanting to please God in all things. They'll want to share Him. They'll take risks. They'll speak out when they need to. They'll undergo, they're willing to undergo great hardships and endure suffering for Him if need be. And so that's the Apostle Paul says, hey, I want to know Christ, the power of His resurrection, and to participate in His sufferings, and yes, even in His death. So, 
those who know God in Christ have a peace that passes all their understanding. They live by the assurance that no matter what happens in life underneath are the everlasting arms. They know God cares because of Jesus Christ. So the question then is, uh, do you and I know God this way? Are we so captivated by the reality of the living God in our own lives that, that, we, that knowing Him and serving Him is the most important thing for us? Can you and I truly say, I want, I long to know Christ and the power of His resurrection? Now, chances are, we are not satisfied in our relationship with God, and that's a good thing because then we can do something about it. If we know we're out of sync with the living God, um, then we know something's wrong. We'll want to remedy that. In fact, the first step in coming to know God at a deeply personal level is to confess that we don't know God as we should, that we know too much maybe about God, but we don't know Him. We have lived by our own wisdom, by our own lights, and by our own you know, resources, and have lived apart from God. That's why our hearts are restless, right? We're not resting in Him. So it's good to be honest with ourselves. We call ourselves to be Christians, and yet really... Honestly, so many of us live as practical atheists during the week, right? Oh, and we might, it's easy to say in church, I know God, but do we really? Are we experiencing Him on a day-by-day -day basis? Do we know Him in a deeply personal way? So we confess our need, God, I don't know you as I should. I want to know you. But then having confessed our need, we're called upon to seek God with our whole heart. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near, says Isaiah. I love those who love me, says the Lord, and those who seek me find me. God does not try to hide from us. God wants to be known. God desires a personal relationship with each of us. He wants to be found by you and me. There's an old Jewish story of a little boy who was playing hide-and-seek with his friends. And uh, so, the, you know, they picked, uh, you know, the, the it, <laughs> and the kids went off to hide. And this one little boy found a good hiding place, but he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and it went on much too long. And uh, apparently those other boys had quit lo long before he realized it. So he waited and waited, and then he began to cry. And his old grandfather had come out of the house and uh, saw that his grandson was crying, and so he went over to find out what was wrong to comfort him. After learning what had happened, the grandfather said, Do not weep, my child that the boys did not come to find you. Perhaps you can learn a lesson from this disappointment. All of life is like a game between God and us. Only it is God who is weeping. For we are not playing the game fairly. God is wanting to be found, but many have gone in search of other things.
And so we are to earnestly seek God in solitude and prayer and worship. We seek Him in sermon and scripture and song, sacrament. We seek Him in the beauty of nature and in the people around us. If you seek me, you will find me, promises the Lord. I will be found by you. And the Lord is faithful to His promises. So perhaps, perhaps you and I should be so bold as to hold the Lord accountable to this promise. Okay, God, you said that those who seek you will find you. So I'm seeking you. I will be seeking you. Show me your presence. Make yourself real to me, God. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. So perhaps some of us, you know, ought to test God. I mean, what do you have to lose? See for yourself as God is faithful, but it takes openness, a real desire to want to know, to experience the truth who is Jesus. It means opening our hearts, opening our minds, being receptive. So let's ask God to, to show show up in our lives. And uh, when God does, our life will never be the same. He changes everything, all for the good. Let's pray. Lord, we claim that promise, those who seek you will find you. Indeed, you have been seeking us, and you have found us long before we even thought about coming to you. Such love you have for us, such grace, such goodness. And Lord, we know that there is nothing more that you want than for us to find you. So Lord, help us to free us from all distractions and from all false idols and from our own agendas. And help us, Lord, uh, to know you it's only in knowing you that we really know ourselves, and we really can't know ourselves without knowing you. So, Lord, make yourself real to us. Show us the way, Lord, and change our lives. To you be all praise and glory. Amen.